after I found out that uh, we were having the kids do so much, I, I thought maybe I shouldn't preach. We were having a kids program, and so that was um, I, that's I think that's great. Uh, good morning and, and Merry Christmas. A little bit early to you, as you know, this is the last time that we'll uh, come together on a Sunday before we celebrate the birth of Christ. And so I want us to look at the Christmas story as Luke records. It will be in Luke chapter 2 today. And we're going to read uh, several verses starting in verse 1, but we're just going to focus on a few. Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. And you know, I have a favorite uh, nativity account, and probably you do too if, if, you're, uh, if you've uh, read the Bible a few times, or maybe if you're just familiar with Matthew's version and Luke's version, you know that only two gospel writers record uh, the birth of Christ, Matthew and Luke, and they both record different details about his birth. Both of them are equally true, but they just focus on different things. And, and personally, I like Luke chapter 2 uh, the best, at least this point in my life, because that's where we have the announcement of the angels to the shepherds and, and things like that. And uh, it's, it's just, uh, uh, I, 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 that's just my preference right now. Uh, but that's what we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on what the angels said to the shepherds. Because as I uh, studied this week, as I, as I prepared and, and prayed over things, I came to the realization that the message of the angels to the shepherds is God's message to us. In, in other words, God had a point in sending Christ. He was communicating something, and the message that the angel delivers is the same message that God is delivering to us. So if you found Luke chapter 2, please stand with me in honor of God's word, and, and uh, the words will be up on the screen if you need those as well. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his, on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people." For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found, found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Thank you. you may be seated. 
Now today, as I said before, we read a whole lot of verses, but we're going to focus on verses 8 through 13 in particular, focus in on the words of the angel. And the first message of Christmas, and really all these things are interrelated, but the first thing I want to highlight for you is that God wants to save you. God wants to save you. Look again at verse 8. It says, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Now this is more of an aside. It's not really the point of the sermon, not really germane to the text, but I do want to just highlight this because uh, sometimes we get to thinking Jesus was born in December. Probably he was not. We don't know exactly when he was born. The Bible doesn't record, so evidently it, it wasn't really all that important. But the this is just kind of a, an historical thing. Over in the, in the ancient Near East, they would send their uh, their flocks out, and they'd be out in the open pasture um, pretty well all summer. The shepherds would stay out, and they would sleep either in tents or sleep out in the open sky, and uh, out in the open field, rather, under the open sky. And um, and around about October, or something like that, the weather would start to change and start getting wet and things like that, and so they would bring the flocks in closer to home. So the fact that the flocks are are uh, still out in the field, the shepherds are out there with them, it indicates that most likely this happened earlier than October. Again, we don't know the month, we don't even know the year for sure, but, uh, but Jesus probably was not born in December. Anyway, like I said, that's, that's more of just a little tidbit for you. But the shepherds, uh, notice what they were doing in verse 8, they were out doing their jobs, and suddenly this angel appears to them. Now their natural response is terror. The Bible says that they feared a great fear. They were really scared. They were, uh, the, the old King James says, they were sore afraid. They were terrified. Now for us, when we think of an angel, we read our idea of an angel into the, into the biblical text, and we may not understand what the big deal was. Because when we think of an angel, usually we think of one of two things. One thing we think of is, is this effeminate-looking guy, very pale with long, flowing hair, not too... Uh, not too terrifying, or we think of a little cherub with the, you know, the little babies floating around with the little chubby cheeks, and we think of that as, as an angel. And so we, we read these, this scripture, and it says that the shepherds were terrified, and we say, now, I can, I can understand being scared of babies, right? Now, sometimes I'm just like, okay, um, that, that's scary. I, I don't want to hold one, I don't want to break one, stuff like that. And so you might think that, that's kind of terrifying, but but really, we don't really understand what the big deal is. But the, the main reason we don't understand is because we don't have a biblical concept of what an angel was. An angel was, was mighty. An angel was, was powerful. And all throughout Scripture, when somebody recognizes that they're in the presence of an angel, they're always scared. Every time. And so part of this is just a natural response because of the awesome presence of an angel, but also if you'll notice the text, it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. Can you imagine being out there? I don't know if the moon was out or not, but it was dark. It was nighttime. And all of a sudden, this, the glory of the Lord, is this brightness that we can't even comprehend, just bathes the, the hillside where they were. When we were at, um, Jesse had a, a Christmas program, and the kids were all up on stage, up on the risers, and they had done a song, but it was too dark, I guess, because the music teacher turned around and told the person in the sound booth, turn the spotlight on. And it was, I mean, it came on like that, and all the kids, it was all at the same time, they all went, ah! 
And I thought maybe it was scripted because the, the way they were, it was just like over overreaction. But I can imagine that's what the shepherds were like. All of a sudden, it was so bright, they, they just recoiled uh, from, from the presence. But on top of all that, I realized that fear is a sinner's natural response to God. Fear is a sinner's natural response to God. Now, those of us who are Christians can testify to that feeling. When God let us know that we were a sinner, when he began to convict our hearts, we were acutely aware of our sin, weren't we? All of a sudden, we became very aware of our, our shame and our guilt and our deserving judgment. And most likely, when this angel showed up, their first response was probably thinking, God's gonna, God is going to send a retribution on me because of my sin. Why else would this angel be showing up? And, and, and so they were terrified. And what, what is the message of the angel? Look again at, at what he says in uh, verse 10. Do not be afraid, for, here's the reason, behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For, here's the basis of the good news, for today in the city of David there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So they're terrified, expecting judgment. Don't be afraid. Why? Because there's good news. What's the good news? A Savior has been born. Now what does that tell us? What, what is the message? The message is that God wants to save us, not condemn us. That's what God is, that's what God is looking to do. Now some people, uh, they, they go to one extreme or the other. A lot of people think, well, I, I don't really need a Savior. I'm, I'm not doing too bad in life. Besides, I know all these Christians. I know all these people that go to church, and I'm doing a lot better than they are. So that must mean that I'm doing okay. I don't need Jesus. Or they go to the other extreme, and they say, you know what? If God only knew what I did... If he knew the life that I've been living, if he knew all the stuff I was involved in, he wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. He wouldn't save me. He wouldn't love me. I'm outside of God's love. But you know what? Jesus knew what I was going to do and what you were going to do, and he still died on the cross for us. He knew all about those deep, dark secrets that, that maybe you keep from everybody and maybe even keep from your spouse. God knew about it, and Jesus still died for you. It means that God is not looking for a reason to send anybody to hell. It means that, that we don't have to earn or convince or cajole God into loving us and being kind to us, being merciful to us. He's already done it. He loves us so much, Jesus came from heaven to be born of a virgin in order to save us. Now, does that mean that everybody's going to heaven? I wish it did, but it doesn't. Because the Bible says that the person who has not believed on the Son is condemned already. And if people reject the offer of salvation, there's no other way. Somebody said, well, that's too narrow. That's, that's unfair that God only makes one way. It's gracious that he makes any way because we don't deserve it. And if people die in that state where they've rejected God, they will spend eternity separated from God in conscious torment in hell. Now, that's not, a pleasant, that's not a pleasant message any time, but especially at Christmas. But you know what? To do that, they've got to tread over the shed blood of Christ to get there. Why? Because God wants to save you. God desires that. It is God's, it's, it's not God's will that any should perish, but instead that all should come to repentance. And if there's somebody here that's, that's never uh, accepted Christ as their Savior, I implore you to do that today. Be saved today. But the second message of, of Christmas relates to that, and that is that God keeps his word. 
God keeps His Word. Look again at verse 11. For today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, city of David is, is, uh, is, is talking about Bethlehem. Now, when they said this, it served two functions. Number one, it told the, angels, or it told the shepherds where to look for the Christ. But also, it highlighted the fact that God keeps his word because all these prophecies that God gave about the coming Christ were fulfilled to a T. Now, what am I talking about prophecy? Prophecy is writing history before it happens. God said that certain things were going to happen, and he fulfilled those things. For instance, in the Garden of Eden, God gave the first hint of a virgin-born Savior. He, he talked about the seed of a woman. Then God said, you know what? Of all the families of the earth, I'm going to choose one family, the family of Abraham. And he said, Abraham, uh, your seed... In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Well, guess what? Jesus was descended from Abraham. But you know what? Abraham had two sons. You remember what they, who they were? Isaac was the son of promise, and Ishmael. And God said, the Messiah is going to come through Isaac. And guess what? He was. But guess what? Isaac had two sons too, Jacob and Esau. Now Esau was the older. He should have gotten the blessings. But God said the Messiah is going to come through Jacob. And guess what? He came through Jacob's line. Jacob had 12 sons. Poor guy. 12 sons. Could have come through any of those lines. But guess what? God said it's going to come from the tribe of Judah. And not only just the tribe of Judah, but, but on down the line, it's going to be through uh, the line of David, King David. Well, then when you read Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Christ, you can trace it all the way back through King David, through Judah, through Jacob, and, and all the way up to Abraham. God said all these things were going to happen, and they did. What about Isaiah chapter 7? It says the virgin shall conceive and bear a child. The Bible records that Mary was a virgin when she gave birth to Christ. Isaiah 9 says a child would be born to us and a son would be given. Now, once you notice that accuracy, it's not that a son would be born, like the son was getting his start in Bethlehem, but a child would be born and a son would be given. Does anybody remember last week's sermon, John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. A child was born and a son was given. He became flesh and dwelt among us. Micah chapter 5 says Bethlehem's going to be the birthplace of the Messiah. The people knew that. That's where, that's where uh, the Magi, they came looking for Jesus at Jerusalem. They said, Herod, where's this one born king of the Jews? He said, I don't know. And he calls the, calls the leaders of the people and said, where's the Messiah going to be born? They quote Micah chapter 5. Bethlehem would be the place where the Savior would be born. All this is telling us uh, is that Jesus, number one, Jesus is the only one that can fulfill all that. There's nobody else in history that all these scriptures line up and, and point to a Savior. Nobody else can fulfill that except for Christ. But on top of that, it also tells us that God keeps his word. He does what he says he's going to do. You can count on him. He's truthful. He says, I'm going to send a Savior for, for, for mankind, and he did. God keeps his word. Verse 12, look at what it says. 
It tells us that God's no respecter of persons. Verse 12, it says, This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now the angels give the shepherds a sign to look for, a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. I remember when I was a kid, what in the world is swaddling clothes? Now that I've had a kid, I understand. You swaddle their arms and legs, and, and they just really like it. And there may have been other babies that were uh, real small in Bethlehem. Maybe a lot of them in swaddling clothes. But there, there's only one of them lying in a manger. Parents that, well, there's a big difference between your firstborn and your secondborn. I remember when uh, we went to a restaurant just the other day and, and John's pacifier ended up on the floor. And one of the waitresses came by. She said, oh, do you want me to wash that off? I said, oh, he's a second. It, you know, it'll be okay. Now, just, just, just be clear so you don't hotline me. I did clean it off. But, that, I mean, that's just what we do, isn't it? I mean, there's a big difference between your first and your second. Because your first is like, oh, everything's got to be brand new, got to be the best. Can you imagine what Mary was thinking? Her first, putting him in a manger? And, and so they, they said this, there's going to be a baby lying in a manger. And all of this points to the fact that God is no respecter of persons. And what I mean by that is we don't impress God a whole lot. No matter how much we put on airs, no matter how fancy we are, we don't discuss God and we don't impress God. And just look at this account. He was placed in a manger, not in a mansion. He was surrounded by farm animals, not fans adoring him. Now, personally, I have a hard time, and I think I mentioned this last week, I have a hard time relating to people uh, that come from money. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I, and, and I don't have anything against people who have money. It's great. I'd like to be independently wealthy myself. But you know what? I, that's just not my background. And I, I have a hard time relating to people who... Uh, have had all these advantages in life and think that they're high and mighty because they were born with money or something like that. But that's not the case with Jesus. He had a humble start. He was born in a humble town. Now, Jerusalem's where we would expect the Savior to be born. It was the religious capital, the political capital. It was the place to be. But instead, he wasn't born in a, a, a highfalutin place. He was born in a hole-in-the-wall type place. He had, a, he had humble parents. His birth announcement was made to lowly shepherds. Now, shepherds didn't have a very good reputation. And as I thought about this, uh, this fact, what, what struck me is that all these significant events that happened in Jesus' life were announced first by people that nobody would have believed. Shepherds, um, they, were kind of, they were outcasts. As somebody has, has well noted, whenever uh, they were out in the fields... They would sometimes confuse mine and thine. They, they had sticky fingers. Some of them were, were thieves. Um, the, the religious people that were kind of like the upper crust, uh, the, the, the respectable people, the respectable circles, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have anything to do with them because uh, these shepherds, they didn't take part in a lot of the, the, the washings and stuff that were part of the Jewish religion, and so they were, being, they were seen as being unclean. Uh, they were out with their out with their sheep all the time. On top of that, they were considered uh, uh, untrustworthy and couldn't testify in a court of law. 
And so here are these people, and, and I'm speaking just as a class of, of uh, people, just shepherds. They were outcasts. They were nobodies. Evidently, these guys were kind of the exception. They had pure hearts. But yet it was to the outcasts that God came to, wasn't it? It was these people that, that the religious people kept at arm's length that God came to. It was the lowly who first heard about Jesus' birth. Why? Because God's no respecter of persons. He didn't say, now who is the most influential people? Who's the most influential person that I could announce this to? So that they, they, they could, you know, they have the, they have the big TV uh, ministry or whatever it is. I'm going to tell them and then they can tell everybody. I'm going to tell the person that everybody's going to believe, and that way it'll get out much quicker. God didn't do that. And even after Jesus became uh, an adult, he ate with the tax collectors and the sinners and the prostitutes. Uh, he ate with the people that nobody else would eat with. See, we can't impress God, but also we're not so much of an outsider. We're too far gone uh, for him. Now, again, this isn't, this isn't the focus of the message, but I do want to throw it out there because it's wrapped up in this, because sometimes we get to thinking, I think, that because we're involved in what we might consider ordinary life or ordinary work, that God can't speak to us, he can't use us, because we're not clergy or we're not uh, whoever it is that we put in our little quotes this, this the person that's up in front, the person that's uh, who we would expect God to talk to. I like what Matthew Henry said here. He said, Angels were, were heralds of the newborn Savior, but they were only sent to some poor, humble, pious, industrious shepherds who were in the business of their calling, keeping watch over their flock. We are not out of the way of divine visits when we are employed in an honest calling and abide with God in it. And I just, I just really like that sentence. Because remember, it was the shepherds, not the priests, that God told about Jesus being born. Now all these things that I've talked about, all these messages of Christmas, that God wants to save us, that he keeps his word, he's no respecter of persons, all of those are part and parcel of the overarching message of Christmas that God loves God loves us. That's the whole reason Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He came to give his life a ransom for many. He was born to die for our sins. He, did, he came to save, not to condemn. He came because God saw that was the only way the salvation could be, could be brought to us. He came to offer salvation so that whosoever will may come. He came... Because he said he was going to do it. Why? Because God loves us. He loves you. He loves me. So what is our response going to be to that message? As I, as I look at these different responses, they're, they're pretty varied, aren't they? The shepherds, when they heard about it, they were excited. The Bible says they went in a hurry to see what was going on. Well, that's not exactly what it says, but you get the idea. They went in a hurry to see what the angels had said. But then after they saw, then they went back and they told people. Isn't that a great, isn't that a great response to Christmas? Tell people about Jesus? 
But what was the people's response to what the, angel, uh, what the shepherds said? Uh, verse 18 says, All who heard it wondered at the things which they were told them by the shepherds. It doesn't say they went to look for themselves. They just kind of scratched their head and said, Huh. That's... What do you make of that? I don't know. So what's your response going to be to the message? Will it be indifference? Will it be disbelief? Thanksgiving? Gratitude? Faith? Someone said, we, do, we don't need another advisor, a reformer, or a committee, but a Savior. And I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Jesus is that Savior. There's no other name other he, under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And if you've never done that, what a fantastic Christmas present that would be. Eternal life. But, but for those of us who are Christians... And this should cause us to, to worship, to be grateful that God would love us, us, so much that he would send his only begotten son, whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. As you stand, as you bow your heads and close your eyes. People don't do things without a purpose, and the same is true of God. He had a purpose in sending Christ. Now the question is, he's done his part, what is our response going to be? that the response that God is seeking is not by more presence. It's not indifference. But the response that love seeks is love in return. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you loved us. We're so grateful that that you condescended to step out of heaven to be born around a bunch of stinking animals. And no matter how lowly a person is, no matter uh, how prosperous or, or uh, elevated they are in status they're not outside the pale of your love God if there's somebody here who's never accepted Christ I ask that you would uh, convict their hearts and draw them to you and God if there's uh, one of us that May we have some sin in our lives. We've we've uh, we've failed this week. We have uh, just transgressed your law. God, I ask you to help us to find forgiveness. 
again, we're so thankful that, that Christ came for us. God, we just ask that you move on each heart. In Jesus' name.